So I thought we'd just sit and discuss this morning, this evening, anything. Harikata, did you have a question? Just before I think I let me explain that to the devotees so yeah, they know what we're not we're not we're talking about and then if you have a further question we can go on it there's this other sect that uh that um is having us we discussed this uh, previously briefly but it it, it it comes up because a couple of um the devotees in our sect, three, four, five of them are who are disciples of Prabhupada are on this forum where Prabhupada's disciples discuss things and most of the disciples on there are from the other sect. <clears throat> and um, so this other sect is having this ongoing discussion about whether women can be gurus. Back to, you know, we've heard a little bit. And so... Um, those who are um, making the case against women being gurus make the point that in the past there have been some women gurus, but only they were fully liberated souls. They cite the example of Mother Janava, the wife of Nityananda Prabhu and Ganga Mata Goswamini. Hmm. Um, whereas the implication is are men that are gurus. And um, their idea seems to be that that unless a woman is a fully liberated soul, she can't be a guru, but a man could be if he was not fully liberated. Now, the teaching, of course, is that a person could be a guru and not be fully liberated. Um, um, uh, but a person, not a not a, not a man and not a woman, um, and there have been a number of women gurus in the Gaudiya Vaishnava lineage, also, who arguably were not fully liberated. They're the ones you don't hear about as much. Same goes for the men. The ones you hear about are the big luminaries and uh, uh, universally accepted gurus and so on and so forth, uh, largely. Um, so it's, it's, it's not a good argument on that uh, basis. But um, they go on to support their reasoning as to why a less than fully liberated uh, a uh, woman cannot be a guru, but a man can. Hmm. Um, and they, their reasoning is that according to the Varnashram, a woman should be protected in all instances. From in, in, in childhood, she should be protected by her father. In her youth, she should be protected by her husband. In an old age, she should be protected by her son or sons. Hmm? 
So the principle there is that women, as much as they may be the fairer sex or the weaker sex, as much as that may be true, um, in some respects, uh, they're valuable and uh, and uh, should be uh, taken care of. Hmm. Um, and of course, these kind of I don't even know if that's really a. I don't really think that's a law of Varnashram. I think it's a sensibility from uh, times uh, gone by. Hmm. I don't think it's, and I could be wrong, but but I don't think it's a law that's found, for example, in the Dharma Shastras. Hmm. It's something that Prabhupada would sometimes cite. Hmm. Um, as a, a, a kind of a a dharmic uh, sensibility from obviously uh, times uh, gone by when, uh, for example, women were not educated hmm? and uh, um, they had as their duties and responsibilities really the home life, hmm? homemakers and, and so on. Um, in really a very, very different uh, cultural setting than today, when women are educated and they have place in the work um, world e- equal to men's, and um, and many many misconceptions about women's capacity to perform in different fields um, have been. Uh, uh, revealed to be such misconceptions. They have equally capable in uh, fields of science and uh, philosophy and business and uh, politics and so on and so forth. You know, there was a... Well, women have been suppressed in, in society. There was a time in this country where women couldn't vote and so forth. They were thought to be uh, incapable of participating in political uh, discussions and so forth. So, very, very, these are very different, very different times. And um, <clears throat> nonetheless, uh, people who are advocating like this think that the old, old, such olden times and sensibilities are the spiritual times and spiritual sensibilities and they should be put in place. And they think that. I suppose everything that goes with that, that women shouldn't be educated and so on. So they have a very backwards, by modern uh, standards, idea. And um, one that's just not going to fly and have much credibility. But they, they, they think that we don't care about that. They think this is the sign of their purity. We don't care about popularity. We care about the truth. So this is how they they think about it. Um, and again, now, um, I personally don't think that there is a dharmic law within the dharma marg, the karma marg, same thing, the varnashram. This is just different terms for the same um, religious idea. I don't think there is a law that says women should be protected at these stages. I think it's a general uh, sensibility given the time and so forth. But they've anyway taken it as a law. Um, It would be interesting to look that up. 
and see if there is such a law, or if it's just a sensibility that, that Prabhupada grew up with and was pertinent and prominent in Bengal at the at the time. And, uh, you know, there's someone coming to the West, and and um, it was a very... Uh, for Prabhupada, it was like landing on a different planet. And I've, I've met sadhus in India who think that every woman in America is a prostitute. They, they, they've... They've, they've learned like that and so forth. So, Prabhupada was coming and you know, he didn't in every respect know what to expect and so forth. And of course we see with him that he very much uh, adjusted his sensibilities as he learned the Western ways and so forth. And he gave a lot of credibility to his women disciples and a lot of position to them that weren't given even in the mission of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur in Bengal and in India where social sensibilities uh, with regard to the place of women and men and so forth were uh, different than the setting that Prabhupada came into and where he got a foothold to to uh, uh, disseminate Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings in the West in the, in, in the modern, modern world and so forth. So naturally, as a sensible person, he made many adjustments and so forth. But these people think that Prabhupada made adjustments because he had to do so, hmm? but that he didn't. But it's really better not to. Hmm? And so, in the beginning, he made some adjustments. But we should. I think I'm accurately representing how they think mm-hmm. that that he had to make some concessions. But then, as you get a foothold, then you don't have to make those concessions. And then we should come down with the law something like that, and higher spiritual standard and so forth. So it's, it's an idea that they have. I, I believe it's really a psychology that they have that causes them to interpret things and uh, uh, along, along these lines. And it's, um, it's a chauvinistic, misogynist kind of a um, psychology. Hmm? Um, I mean that's a no-brainer, but but they, a lot of them also think that psychology is is a problem, <laughs> and that uh, you should just chant Hare Krishna and and, uh, and uh, tending to uh, psychological balance, which incidentally is really the heart of what Varnashram is about. Hmm? They think that to tend to psychological balance is to is to be doing something that's not uh, um, bhakti. Therefore, it shouldn't be done. But if we look at Varnashram, at the very heart of the Varnashram, we find what it what it is. It's a, it involves an assessment of one's psychophysiological makeup hmm? um, under the influence of the gunas, the modes of nature. And... And then it um, suggests or mandates even certain uh, types of activities, occupations, and so forth for different physiological makeups under the influence of the gunas. The gunas are operative physically and psychically. So um, certain persons will be suited for a certain type of engagement, others for others. And what that's about really is trying to situate people materially 
in in a in positions that they will be most comfortable in, and they'll have both feet, so to speak, on the ground materially. And um, the idea then was that it would lend stability to the society as well, and um, and it was really kind of a helping people find their place or helping them to assess their their position materially in relation to the material influences that their minds and bodies are made out of. Hmm? That's the heart of the thing. So it's really about finding material uh, psychological balance with the idea that having that balance in place and having, so to speak, both feet on the ground materially, hmm, one can engage in those duties um, and and be in a better position than to grow vertically. I would call that, as I have in the past, horizontal development. And 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 with that in place, they can grow vertically because the the whole uh, central focus of the Varnashram is also the pleasure of Vishnu. And so by following this elaborate system, really, um, one is meant ultimately to come to the point of sannyas and moksha hmm? and, um, and retire from the, the dharma jignasu and enter into the brahma jignasu. Retire from inquiry into religious life and how to be balanced psychologically and physiologically with regard to the world and how I should uh, conduct myself and socially, uh, social interaction and so forth. Um, this is all part of religious religious inquiry. And when religious inquiry is, is sufficiently um, uh, pursued, uh, one, the idea is... Be, gradually becomes qualified for inquiry into Brahman, the nature of Brahman. In other words, from coloring one's entire humanity, human life, and all that it involves with having children, um, getting married, dying, uh, caring for elders, and all such basic things that everybody does in any society, um, coloring all those with a, with a, with a religious crayon, with a religious uh, paint, hmm? all in light of doing those things with a view to uh, follow the sacred texts, be a good citizen thereby, and please uh, Vishnu in a very general sense. And by doing that, uh, the idea is one becomes gradually qualified for inquiry into Brahman. And that is then inquiry into and pursuit of my spirituality and pursuit of experiential spirituality rather than merely religious life, to the pursuit of transcending human limitations or the pursuit of all that human life affords me the opportunity to pursue, which is ultimately the experience of myself hmm? that transcends uh, the limits of humanity. So these are the two basic, uh, you know, the karma marg 
and the gyan mark. Hmm? Uh, so at its heart, really, it's ironic because the Varnashram is very much about psychological uh, balance. Hmm? And this group of people think that the uh, uh, modern uh, tools of today's world for uh, tending to the need for psychological balance are somehow outside of the scope of, of, uh, of, of, of bhakti and um, have no, no place, certainly have nothing to do with uh, Varnashram. Um, I guess you could question whether they have anything to do with bhakti, um, but m- as long as you're thinking, as they do, that Varnashram is important in relation to bhakti, then it seems odd that they would be so much against, um, as they are, psychology and in, in employing modern-day tools for psychological balance when Varnashram is so much about psychological balance. Um, I, uh, uh, of course, like to say that the, the very kind of heart of the Varnashram is essentially what it's about is what's important to uh, uh, devotees, if at all, that's what's important, and that is to be come into some balance materially that we may be better suited to pursue our, our spiritual life. There's some scope for that. We would look at it, however, in, entirely in a bhakti sensibility, that being that my sadhaka deha, my spiritual practitioner's body given to me by my guru through guru parampara, through diksha, um, um, is something that I shall tend to the necessities of with the tools that are available that uh, it may be um, um, that much more um, capable and up to the task of serving our uh, Guru Paramparas as may be uh, required and taking advantage of of the uh, spiritual practice that my uh, sadhaka day is meant to be uh, absorbed in. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like in 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 another sense, the gopis would dress themselves very nicely and be very attentive to their appearance and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we will try to put our tilak on very, very straight and beautiful, and this is our cosmetics, and so forth. The deity will see us and recognize. We, we've, we've identified ourselves as his servants and the public and so forth, at least where the public understands those things. That, that is a useful idea, <clears throat> useful practice. Um, so there's some tending to the needs of the body if one's sick or psychologically if one needs balance. This is how to kind of think about it all in a bhakti context. And in that way you're kind of pulling out the essential idea of the Varnashram and incorporating it even though, and this is the main point of course, bhakti is completely transcendent to the Varnashram. Hmm? 
it's a, it's a path unto itself. Karma, Marg, Varnashram is another path. It's a religious orientation and bhakti is a spiritual or orientation. It's an orientation not only into Brahman, but into rasa, inquiry about rasa, which Brahman ultimately um, takes the shape of in the form of Bhagavan Sri Krishna, particularly Rasaraj, as he is, Akila Rasamrita Murti. So at any rate, they, th- they think, this, this group of people, they think that, um, that the, uh, there's a Varnashram law that women need to be protected. That's in question, as I've mentioned. But uh, let's say for the sake of argument, it is such a law. They think that women who are not liberated, are on, that are on the bhakti path, because they're not liberate, liberated, they have to attend to Varnashram sensibilities. Hmm? If they were fully liberated, they would not have to. But because they're not fully liberated, they have to be attentive to certain, really, arguably all, Varnashram sensibilities. And I think they would say the same holds true for men. But this particular sensibility that they think is a law hmm, doesn't apply to men. Men don't need to be protected in their childhood, in their youth, and in their old age. They are the protectors, <laughs> as it would be. So, um, the uh, on account of their thinking that it's a law that women need to be protected, and a, and a reality, they think, therefore a woman is in a compromised position in terms of becoming a guru because someone who is protected by another and really maintained, I think they mean, by another, um, is beholden to them. Hmm? And one cannot be beholden to another, so to speak, and be a guru. Do you follow? A guru is independent. Hmm? Relies only on Krishna. Of course, that's the liberated gurus. <laughs> I don't think it matters whether you're a man or a woman. <laughs> if you're not liberated, you're beholden uh, to some extent. You're not, you're not, you, that's the whole idea that of, of liberation. It means beyond the biases, beyond raga and dvesha. Attachment uh, for something and aversion to something else. You follow? This comes. This is what what what, what liberation is, is about. So the argument falls a bit flat there, but in many other places as well. And we're kind of going through it now. Um, but um, but the main point that I raised to Agni and uh, sent to Ashram, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, is that the idea that Shuddha Bhakti as it's being taught and represented, hmm, will be compromised by women being gurus if they're not fully liberated because it will be a violation of the Varnashram. Hmm, is a compromised position. Hmm. It is a compromised position that Rupa Goswami himself points out when he defines uh, Uttam Bhakti. Hmm? And when he defines Uttam Bhakti, he speaks about sadhana, 
uh, bhav and prema. It's not that uttam bhakti is only prema. Uttam bhakti is bhava, uttam bhakti is sadhana. Hmm? And uttam bhakti is defined by Rupa Goswami. How? Who can cite the verse? Cite it. That's correct. So how, Madam Mongol, tell me, how is their idea compromising Shuddha Bhakti based on this verse? Uh, Speak loudly. Varnashram would be to, well, it wouldn't be Jnana, it would be Karma. Uttam Bhakti is free any desire for the fruits of your activities for its own sake. That's close. Uh, uh, I'll elaborate upon that. He's correct. The problem here is Rupa Goswami, in defining Uttam Bhakti, speaks about its principal characteristics, Krishnanu Shilanam, Anyabila, what is it? Anukulena. Anukulena Krishnanushilanam. Anukulena Krishnanushilanam. These are the suruplakshan of bhakti. Anukul, it's, it's favorable. It's a favorable, ongoing culture uh, uh, of acts that are pleasing to Krishna, service to Krishna. Uh, and so the marginal characteristics then, Rupa Goswami is explaining what Shuddha Bhakti, Uttam Bhakti is not. And he says, Anyabhilashitasunyam, it's devoid of other spurious desires hmm? um, and it's not covered by jnana or karma, which means that it's, it's to be engaged in hmm, for its own sake. Hmm? not for something else, but for its own sake, for the pleasure of Krishna. For its own sake means for attaining bhava and sadhana bhakti. And in bhava means for attaining prema. Bhakti for more bhakti is the idea. So what does it mean that it's not covered by jnana or karma? Well, it means that we don't do bhakti to get liberation, or we don't do bhakti uh, to uh, acquire things, that's in a crude sense, but in a more uh, culturally uh, attuned sense in terms of when the verse was written and, and, and so forth, it speaks of the fact that bhakti is an independent path from karma, jnana, yoga, and so on and so forth. And it's full and complete in itself. It doesn't need help from anywhere else. And to think that it does is with regard to karma, is karma uh, not an avritam, but 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 I guess avritam. Hmm. It's covered. In other words, to give you to play this out, let's say someone is following the varnashram dharma, and then they meet a, a shuddha bhakta, hmm? and so they take to the path of uttam bhakti. Let's say they read the Gita. Hmm? The Gita says, do your duty, you know, Arjuna, you're a Chatriya, you should buy it, and so on and so forth. 
and d- d- don't do another's duty. You know, there's always a fault in any duty. So even if your duty has some fault in it in this, this material world, do it anyway. Stick to your duty. That's the beginning of the Gita. But what does it say at the end of the Gita? Give up your duties. What is the verse? Do you know the verse? Sarva Dharman Prityaja. What does that mean? Give up all Dharma. Dharma means the Dharma Marg. that was previously talked about, virtues of which were extolled to some extent. Hmm? But when Krishna brings Arjuna through the whole thing, you see well, why he was advocating it here, why he's not, you know, by way of contrast and so forth. This is a conclusion. Sarva Dharma Prityaja. Mami come. Sharanam. Uh, forego the Dharma Marg. Hmm? Tread the Bhakti Marg, hmm? which means, Mami come Sharanam. Do Sharanagati to me. Surrender to me. Hmm? And so if one comes to that conclusion and has been a religious person following the Varnashram and so forth, there are so many rules to the Varnashram. One might have a doubt because it's a strong statement for someone who to hear for someone who's been preoccupied with the Dharma Marg, the Karma Marg. And for example, well, my father died. All right. There's a ceremony called the Shraddha ceremony to be performed for the deceased. And it's it's a thought it's thought that by performance of this um, uh, ritual, the passing Hmm? Uh, the deceased will be uh, um, free from certain impediments and so forth. And so a, a good son was to perform that for the father that passed. That's part of the Dharma Marg, which is, again, all about human sensibilities and the things that humans do and coloring them all with a religious crayon, so to speak. Hmm? And so suddenly I, 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 I took to the Bhakti Marg, hmm? And things are going fine. And then I heard my father has, has, passed, has, has passed away. Hmm. Now what? Hmm. And all the family members are saying, you've got to come and perform the Shraddha ceremony. Hmm. Well, according to the Bhakti Marg, what is that nice verse? Nrinam. Yeah, I, I used to know. I can't remember now. It says, dedication to the four, uh, worship of the forefathers, the gods, the rishis, this, that, and the other thing, all these things. For one who's taken shelter of Mukunda, hmm, that's all covered. Hmm. If the sun becomes, treads the path of Uttam Bhakti, hmm, that's better for the father. <laughs> And his, and his passing, then going and performing the Shraddha ceremony hmm? is the idea. That's already, that's covered. Hmm? Um, so if one still, no, so I should say, so if one thinks that if I don't perform the Shraddha ceremony, I'll be violating the Dharma Marg, that will somehow be bad for my father and me. Hmm? So I have to go and do that. Hmm? Uh, then one's bhakti is being covered by 
the sensibilities of a different path. Hmm? The Dharma mark, the karma mark. Hmm? And one hasn't understood this gyan-karma-dhyanavritam, this marginal characteristic of uttam-bhakti. Now, just as a side note, um, at the same time, in this given instance, which I cite as an example, if a devotee should find out my father died and whether it be uh, the parents want me to come and perform the shraddha ceremony or in modern society, the parents want me to come to the funeral and, or something like that, a devotee can go and do those things hmm? and tend to the sensibilities of others without thinking that if I don't do this, my bhakti will be flawed, my spiritual life will be flawed and so forth. Hmm? I know that's not the case, but people don't understand, and I have some some uh, affection for them and so forth, and, and I don't want them to misunderstand bhakti either, and they'll think, what, it's so cold-hearted, you can't even come to your father's funeral, you know, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yeah, I've told that story before, yeah. So, uh, so with that in mind, he, he or she may do these, these things. Hmm? Set an example for others who need to do those things hmm? uh, in society and so forth. Uh, but he doesn't think, she doesn't think that, my, that somehow there's something lacking if I don't do that. Hmm? He or she knows that bhakti is a complete path unto itself. Hmm? Indeed, shraddha in bhakti, which, which is faith in the efficacy of bhakti, which makes us eligible, uh, qualifies us to tread the path, implies hmm, a lack of faith in the karma mark, an absence of faith in the gyan mark. Hmm? When if you don't have faith in something, how can you do it? Hmm? You understand? So, um, so, the heart of the real heart of the problem of this sect, so it's these members of some some members of the sect, their misconception is that while being concerned as they appear to be or say they are, that bhakti, uttam bhakti, that we are teaching to the world will be compromised if we have women become gurus, because it'll be a violation of the varnashram. Hmm? is, as you can understand, itself a compromising of Uttam Bhakti and it, it illustrates that they themselves are not, don't understand what is Uttam Bhakti, hmm? what is this marginal characteristic in, in this regard, and, and they're teaching by this that uh, Bhakti is not a complete path, hmm? uh, and they're teaching bhakti covered by karma. Hmm? The, the one on the path of bhakti is somehow has obligation to hmm? Varnashram. Now, it is true that Bhaktivinoda Thakur made a point um, in the time of his reform in Bengal when there was a lot of misrepresentation of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, which is the Bhakti Marg is the, is the Paramhamsa Marg, and, uh, and uh, it's beyond Varnan Ashram. And so some people would get initiated in the Bhakti Marg, 
beyond Varna Ashram, then what do you do when the whole society is organized according to Varna and Ashram? If you're not in it, then what do you do in the society? If you've got nothing to do in the society, then I guess you just sit and chant. But if you don't have the eligibility to just sit and chant, then other thoughts may come into mind. And, and, and so you're bhakta, you're on the path, but you're not yet a paramhamsa. You're on the paramhamsa marg, but you're not a paramhamsa. So he had a sensibility of incorporating what he called a kind of a dive of Varnashram, which uh, he had some idea about, which was basically, at its heart, to look at the essential sensibility of Varnashram, which I said earlier, is that people need to have their feet on the ground, both feet on the ground, if they're going to jump up and touch the stars. Hmm? If they're only standing on one foot, then they could fall on their butt instead of reaching up and touching the stars. And Gaudiya Vaishnavism is about reaching up and touching the stars, and, so to speak. And so some material balance is a horizontal development or sensibility, at least maybe useful. Hmm? So let us take the core of the Varnashram idea and see how to engage people in bhakti according to their psychological and physiological makeup, rather than mandating that they all go and just sit in the jungle and chant. And for that, let's have a society, let's have a mission, and let's have, you know, gardeners and cooks and, uh, you know, and uh, uh, editors and uh, administrators and so forth. To give you some idea, then, of how Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur tried to play this out, hmm? uh, following the uh, um, uh, suggestions of, of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, was that uh, in, in two ways he tried to employ this idea of the Vaidava Varnashram. First of all, by way of preaching to people within the Varnashram system hmm, that a proper understanding of the Varnashram is that one's Varna and Varna uh, should be determined by their uh, psychological uh, sensibility and physiological makeup rather than by their birth alone. While birth may dictate much of that, one may take birth in a certain uh, a family of, of for example, uh, uh, Vaishyas because of a past and one may naturally have that sensibility that would normally play out but there may be exceptions hmm? and particularly in Kali Yuga if someone does not have the purity of heart of a Brahmin then we don't consider them a Brahmin even if they're born in a Brahmin family so he wanted to he he he, he looked at that as that distortion of the Varnashram, the caste system that, uh, that exploited people and so forth as kind of Asura Varnashram. So Daiva Varnashram would be to preach to people who are in the Varnashram, Dharma Marg, about these, this kind of sensibility, number one. And number two, those who are on the Bhakti Marg, hmm, then he arranged a system whereby those who came to Bhakti, joined the mission, but then would give it up and then come back and give it up. And come, they would be the sudras. Hmm? Those who, who, who administrated the temples, 
for Vishnu, for Krishna, they would be the Kshatriyas. <laughs> and those who were the uh, preachers who could speak, articulate, and represent, they were the, they were the Brahmins. And the householders hmm, who weren't living in the moth, in the monastery, who were earning money, they were the Vaishyas who provided food for the stomach of the mission, so to speak. So you can see this is just like a semblance of an idea of a, of a structure, if you will, that took into consideration the psychological and physiological makeup of people and engaged them only in bhakti. Hmm? It, it really has... Uh, it's really not a compromising of, of Uttam Bhakti and incorporating within it Varnashram and, and thereby covering Uttam Bhakti um, in, in the ways in which we've already discussed. Hmm? And so, therefore, and because Bhakti Vinod spoke about that, because Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur experimented like that, Prabhupada also talked about Varnashram. Hmm? He talked about it for the general public. He thought that people should be engaged according to their physiological, psychological makeup and so on and so forth. And he had big hopes and whatnot of changing the whole society and so forth. And uh, um, um, and then he also saw the devotees needed to be engaged according to their propensities and so forth. So he, he talked about it. The talks that he gives about it are not systematic. Hmm? He was questioned about it. He basically, he wanted communities of devotees, thriving, self-sufficient communities of devotees where people had a full engagement in life in the context of serving the deity, the mission, all of which constituted bhakti. This is basically what he wanted. Uh, he didn't want to or uh, think it was possible to incorporate all the rules of Varnashram and he didn't want to compromise Uttam Bhakti or anything like that. But this is what these people are doing by misunderstanding what emphasis he did place at times on on Varnashram. Um, and that's something for uh, you know his successors to sort out in relation to the teachings and so forth and... Uh, Here's an instance, then, coming up of how it's really been so grossly misunderstood and in the name of being worrisome, of preserving the example of Uttam Bhakti that Prabhupada wanted his disciples and grand disciples and so forth uh, to um, uh, uh, to provide for the society and so forth they themselves, by this distortion of the teaching, are teaching a form of bhakti covered by karma, hmm? where there's concern that if uh, women become gurus, they'll be violating, as they think of it, the laws of Varnashram. Hmm? And because they're not liberated, they're beholden to the Varnashram uh, system. This is a, a very much of a, of a, of a confusion Hmm? A very much of a distortion of the teachings of, uh, of, of Rupa Goswami and a misunderstanding of Uttam Bhakti. And when you see this um, happening and, and people who have been involved for years and years and years in devotional life and so forth have this understanding, you realize they don't understand what, it, what is Uttam Bhakti. How much then 
are they engaging in it? Hmm? Again, I mean, the, the, the very uh, eligibility for it. Sarvadharman pratyajamamekam sharanambraja. There it is right there. This is the Gita. Forgo the Dharma Marg. Hmm? Tread the Bhakti Marg. And there are all kinds of rules within the Bhakti Marg. Hmm? But there's no teaching in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that women should be protected in all stages of life or that women can't be gurus or anything of the sort. Indeed, there are many examples of women uh, liberated or unliberated. The less liberated they are, the more problematic it's going to be, whether they men or, they're men or women. That's for sure. Hmm? Uh, we don't... That's not, that's not recommended, but there may be instances advanced devotees who are not fully liberated can guide others and so forth. And uh, if they have ruchi, then, as Pujapachita Maharaj used to say, then they're safe. Then they can share with others. That's a higher, higher stage of sadhana bhakti when something from the other side tangibly is showing up within one and one has no material desire and so forth. Attachment for Krishna is, is, is coming in asakti. And so these... This is what it's meant by, and, and, and really, that kind of devotee, hmm? even Ruchi Bhakti who has no material desire, is not going to be a compromised um, person beholden to anyone. Hmm? That's why Bhakti Vinotakur teaches in Bhakti Vivek that a Shuddha Bhakta, hmm? the proverbial pure devotee, is, 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 is one who has attained Ruchi. So anyway, there may be unliberated uh, who have not... Bhava means liberation in the full sense of the term in bhakti. Hmm? Persons who, who, can, who can be going fast enough in the direction of the sun, west, to always, be, always see the sun, so to speak. Uh, the sun being Krishna in this analogy. Catch on with the coattails uh, of Tivasari or the dhoti of that person and you will be in a good, uh, good position. Hmm. So anyway, this is what I wrote to you. Particularly, I wrote very shortly about Gyan Karmadi and Abhritam and how this very idea is compromising what is Uttam Bhakti hmm? by precept and by example. And that's a, a shame. And, and, that, and, 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 and this is why people uh, don't make... Uh, they have difficulty making progress. They don't understand what they're doing what the teaching is. They, they, they lack eligibility even to tread the path. Hmm? So they're treading something, treading water, and they're not getting anywhere. <laughs> they, they're not getting too far. Uh, and after all these years, and these these kind of understanding, and they're committed to it and militant about it and so forth. Hmm? And, and just serving a, a, a really a psychology that, that's out of balance. <laughs> Uh, misogynist, chauvinistic, uh, you know, uh, psychology. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, did you have a further question about what I wrote here, or did you just want me to, I just wanted to elaborate. elaborate on it? Yeah, make for good discussion. Mashram Marsh, you had a comment? Uh, I, was, I was thinking a couple of things. One, le- one less essential thing about this business of women needing, needing to be protected, that same cultural sensibility that dictates that also says, that the boys and the old men need to be protected, but also the Brahmins need to be protected. Mm-hmm. And what that means is 
Not so much. Prabhupada kind of talks about it in, the, in terms of vulnerability in some ways, but it really attests to their value to society because that point. what that protection includes, the one thing that Prabhupada emphasized when he talked about protecting those cows, the elderly, women, Brahmins, old people, and children, was that they not even be punished for anything they actually do that's wrong. <laughs> that they're, you know, kind of above the law. So that attests to their value to society. Very nice point, yeah. Um, but then the other thing is, I think a little more essential back to where you were, is that, that verse, the verse that um, Rupa Goswami uses to support his definition of Uttama Bhakti, I've sometimes joked that he didn't say some upadi, but sarva upadi. Mm -hmm. We have to be completely free from being sullied by identifying with any kind of position. So they're identifying with being men and and the women as being women, and therefore they're yeah. somehow or other they're not they're not qualified. Mm -hmm. Good point. Good point. You also made a very I, point. Yeah. I made a point that in bhakti, in sharanagati, one accepts Krishna as one perspective. Rakshikshatiti vishvashvo. This is the central to uh, to bhakti. Krishna is my protector. Krishna mata Krishna pita Krishna dana pran. Krishna's my mother, Krishna's my father, Krishna's my... So <laughs> it's, a, it's a transcending of any other kind of necessity of uh, sensibility about protection and who will protect me and so forth. Hmm? So yeah, there's some really uh, nice, nice points to come out in discussing this. Very um, interesting and edifying and important, really. Hmm? So good. What is the time? All right, so we stop there. Sisi Gaurnatanandaki Jai, Gaur Bhaktavrindaki Jai, Gaur Prebhanandi.